we are looking with great hope to what God is doing in this day and time in our cities. And one of those great joys and delights for me is Kevin Rivas and a community who were a part of a vineyard uh, church in uh, L.A., Go Astros, and have moved to church plant to spread hope to the city of Houston and communities, especially among Spanish-speaking bilingual families yep. and communities. Yep. And so here's what I want you to know about Kevin. Kevin has become a friend, and I love the life of Jesus in him. He is serving in the life of our church. You might have noticed a small group with your name connected to it. Yep. It's a great small group. We love small groups. Can I get an amen? Yes. And he is uh, faithful in his call to pastor and to lead. And so I'm honored to be building relationship with him as we steward God's heart for the city, as for this church, for, the, for Pearland and the surrounding community. Yep. So would you all welcome Kevin as he brings the yep. message this morning. Thank you. One, two, two. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Awesome, awesome. Well, I would like to start... Um, with, uh, if I could get five minutes of introducing and answering the question you guys have right now, who is this handsome lad in front of me? And I just want to take a couple minutes and, and explain and give a brief description of, of, of who we are, who I am, and that way we can, you, can get, you guys can get to know me uh, a little bit more personal. We moved from California, from, excuse me, from California to Texas last year. We believe God has called us to plant a bilingual church here in the, in, in the state of Texas. Now, quick fact, do you guys know that there is no, currently, there is no vineyard in Espanol in the entire state of Texas? Yes. So that's why, one of the reasons why we feel called, and we believe that, I believe that my generation, the millennial, uh, Gen X millennial generation is strategically positioned to bridge the generations that are in front of us and the generations that are behind us. I have an amazing wife and two kids. We've been married for 15 years, you know, and that's, uh, and that's a testament to people that thought we were only going to be married for 15 minutes, right? So, so we've been married for 15 years. Uh, I am a Enneagram 8, who guys follow that. I am the challenger, which means that I, I, I live in the perpetual why. You know, why, why can't I, why do we have to plant a church that way? Or why can't I wear my cowboy boots with sweatpants? You know, why? Why, why can't we do that? You know, it's just, I live in that perpetual challenging uh, way. And I come from a Pentecostal background, so <laughs> that says a lot as well. I come from a Pentecostal background. I was raised by a Mexican dad. I was raised by a Mexican, uh, excuse me, Honduran mom, which means that oftentimes I will seem a bit unstable because, um, you know, I was raised by, by, by this culture. And in our culture, you know, it's, it's very normal for us to just kind of raise our voice for no apparent reason. We're just raising our voice because we're just passionate you know, that's just the way we are. We like salsa on everything. You know, it's, it's just how we are. We drink jalapeno juice for breakfast. It's, it's what we do. You know, we're, we're passionate. We're different, which means that, um, you know, you're going to get a little bit of that today. My love languages, if you guys are interested, is, is physical touch and quality time. And uh, I have the amazing privilege of having a friend like Kirk. Amazing privilege. And... He was one of the first people when I came to Texas to tell me, Kevin, I love you. And I was like, whatever. And then one day, he hugged me. And I said, oh, man, this guy loves me. I felt it. I felt the embrace. I felt the physical touch. And, and I love him back. So... Now that we got that out of the way, now that we, we have the formalities out of the way, I want you to look at the person that's next to you and tell him this, you are at the right place right now. Come on, tell your neighbor, come on. Now tell the person that told you that, tell them, that's why I brought you. 
Yeah, that's why I brought you. That's why I brought you. Yeah, yeah. So today, the next couple of minutes, I want us to read from a passage that is familiar, but I, will, I believe it's going to bring a lot of clarity and conviction to our lives. And if you could follow me in the screen, we'll read the next passage and we'll see what God has in store for us. So we'll be reading off of Luke 7, 36 to 39. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, a questionable life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So for the next couple of minutes, I would like us to talk about expressing, expressing our worship. Say that with me, expressing our worship. So if I want to I pray for us as we go into this couple, next couple of minutes. Father, thank you for the amazing opportunity that that we have to listen to what you have to say to us. I pray that you open our ears, open our spirit. Let us absorb what you have for us. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Amen. Life is full of surprises. Life is full of shocks. And one of those surprises, one of those shocks that we, we have in life start very, very early on in our lives. From the moment we are born, we are constantly surprised, constantly shocked to new things. We've been, we, we had been nine months in our mother's womb. We had adapted to that environment. And then suddenly, we're pulled out. We come into this world, and we constantly start adapting. We constantly start breathing and adapting. We start hearing and adapting. Immediately, we start adapting to our surroundings, to our environment. And we start getting older. We get older, and it means that we start understanding certain things. We start understanding the things we like, the things we don't like. We start showing and expressing our joy, our emotions, the things we like, the things we don't like. And then by the time we get to our early teens, we really get into expressing our emotions. And those with teenagers say amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really start expressing our emotions. And then we start dating, right? We start dating. And many of us would not have dated very long if there wasn't any expression of the feelings we felt for that person. Or else, how could they have known that we felt something for them? We had, to, we had to express what we felt for them. So it might have been a rose saying, hey, you know, I, I love you. It might have been slipping, like the, the Gen Zers say, slipping into her, her DMs and saying, hey, girl, what's up? Yeah, see, I'm hip. I'm hip. I, I, know, I know stuff. So it may be as elaborate as taking her to the fanciest restaurant, or him, you know. It might be as fancy as taking her to the best restaurant. Or it might be as simple as a romantic picnic at the park, but there was still, there was still some sort of expression to that person that kept that person believing, hey, this person really feels something for me. This person really loves me. Expressions. Expressions. It, it, it's, it's what makes or breaks a conversation. Now, the people that, that are married, you guys have people, you guys have, have either heard or said, hey, it, it's not what you said. It, it, it's how you said it. Or, or how many of you said this one? Your mouth is saying one thing, but your face, oh, come on, really? <laughs> I'm the only one. 
Your face is saying one thing. Expressions. So feelings are expressed through an outward manifestation of a mood or a disposition. We are expressing. We are expressive beings. So in public speaking, they teach about, hey, hey, pay attention to the, to the nonverbals. Pay attention to how many times you move your hands. Pay attention to the stuff you're not saying. Because sometimes you're trying to convey a point, but your body is expressing a completely different message. Now, in marriage counseling, we can usually also tell who's going to be the most receptive person. You know, you ask the husband and they say, uh, you know, why are you here? Well, I'm here and I, I'm here. Yeah, I made it. You already know, okay, this is going to, okay, maybe the wife is the more. So, there, there, there's the other part where people might be saying, hey, Kev, I'm, I'm not really an expressive person. I, I just don't express my feelings outwardly like that. And I would say, uh, have you sat in the 45 in the rush hour? Like, you know. I am the less Christian, I am the less Christian as I could be when I'm on the 45 in rush hour. Like, I'm expressing some stuff. You know, I'm, I'm expressing. But let, let's say that that was the case. Let's say that there, were the, there was a person that was just simply stoic. No emotions, just stoic. But these people, under a microscope, after we get their lab results, we would see that they show signs of chronic stress. Fatigue, depression, or other illnesses. There's an expression. Something inside of them is expressing what they can't show on the on, on outside. Now, we also see expressive emotions in our favorite sports team. You know that, you, you know that when your favorite team wins, you don't care who you offend. You don't care. You simply don't care. You don't care who criticizes you because you support the Astros. Like, you, you, you don't know. You don't know. You, you want the world to know that your team won. Go Dodgers. You just, you just want the world to know. You, you're going to express it. You're going to do your Facebook Live. You're going to put it on Insta. You're going to put it on Snap. You're going to say, hey, my team won. And I don't care. So, so the question is, what about if the opposing team, the opposing losing team, you know, gets offended by you expressing yourself that way? What do we usually say? Better luck next time, buddy. Okay, we, we really don't care how we're expressing ourselves. No one, no one can escape expressing. It's who we are. It's what we do. Now, let, let's talk about worship. Let's talk about, let, let, let's talk about what worship means. And, and let me make this statement before I get any further. We all worship someone or something whether we know it or not. We all worship someone or something whether we know it or not. And depending on our, what our cultural faith background has been, we have all... We, we all have an understanding of what worship looks like or what we feel worship should be like. And one of the biggest privileges in my life was the fact that I was a praise and worship pastor before I actually became a pastor. And one of the things that I was able to really define pretty, pretty early on is that praise is really easy to see. Praise is easy to see. Praise is easy to hear. You, you usually hear people say, hey, I have a praise report. You know, the loan went through. Uh, we just closed on a house. We, we just opened up our third business. We, we had our first granddaughter, and she's healthy. She's vibrant. She is amazing. And that is an amazing praise report. Worship, worship, on the other hand, is even though we don't get to close on a house, even though I'm still going through issues in my life, even I can't get this business to take off, even if I'm still battling some sickness, I will praise you, I will worship you for who you are. Big difference. I got three amens, but that's fine. It'll, it'll grow. As, as That's what worship, that's what worship is. I learned early on that worship to God is not circumstantial. It is not based on who I am. It is based on who he is. 
So in my passage today, we see Jesus being invited by a Pharisee to eat at his home. And there are many expressions taking place, nonverbals and, and verbally. And, and we also see worship taking place. In our passage, it says that he was invited by one of the Pharisees to have dinner with him. And he went to the house and reclined to eat at the table. And what I find interesting about this passage, what really strikes me about this passage in this story is that many Pharisees were against Jesus. They didn't like him. So, so someone, we, we, we look at Simon, we look at this Pharisee's life. And it's, safe, and, and it's safe to assume that the only reason why Simon was inviting Jesus to his home was to size him up. Let, let me see what this Jesus fellow is all about. Let me see what this, is, this means. What about this guy, Jesus? What can I find out about him? Let me, let me invite him to my home and let me see if I can figure this guy out. The first point I want to make today is that expressing our worship is recognizing who God is. Expressing our worship is recognizing who God is. Now, if you read the story and look carefully, you'll notice that Simon the Pharisee treated him like any other guest, not knowing who Jesus was. He treated him like any other person. He didn't offer him to wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't anoint him with oil which was the custom in honoring special guests entering your home. Just treat him like another other person. In other words, Simon did not know who Jesus was. Therefore, he treated him like a regular. Now, let me ask you this. If you've gone to a restaurant and you just get a bad waiter, just a bad, I mean, just terrible waiter, and, and it's like it, it, those, those waiters that make you feel that it's, it's actually about them and not, not about you. And they, they, they toss the dishes and, and, and they act like they don't even want to be there. And they're just, I mean, you could hear them walking. You could hear that attitude, right? Yes, 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 okay. Just want to make sure we're, I'm, 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 we're tracking, track with me, please, because I'm sure I'm not the only one that has, has had that experience. And you realize and you say, hey, 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 wait, wait a minute. Number one. I am here, and you need to serve me. Number two, if I wasn't here, there would be no business. Number three, if there wasn't any business, you would have no income. If you had no income, you would have no job. It is about me at this point. You need to serve me. Now, the correct attitude of a waiter should be reflected in, sta in statements like, Yes, sir, can I help you? Where can I sit you? You know, how many in your party? Is there something else I could? I'm sorry it's taking too long. Hey, sir, we finally have a table for you. Please come this way. You know what? What item in the menu are you looking at? Is there something I can offer you? Is there something I can recommend? What is it I can do to make your stay here a little bit better? When you get that kind of waiter, you get that kind of person serving you, and that person makes you feel like you're the only person in that restaurant. Where he makes it about you and not about his job. He makes it about the service to you and not his income. He makes it about you and not the tip. All of a sudden, you are forced to make a decision based not only on the food, but the service that that person is giving you. Now, you might be a cheap tipper. You might be someone that doesn't tip at all. You might be someone that says, hey, I'm not going to tip because that, is, that goes against my value. Wh whatever it is, you might not even tip. But it, that all falls into question as soon as you get someone who's just an amazing waiter. For me, you know what's an amazing waiter? I'll tell you my secret. My amazing waiter. As I know as soon I'm, as I know I'm going to have amazing service. Everyone that has gone to eat with me knows that I just drink water by the gallons. It's just, I mean, the waiter's just coming back and coming. For me, if my water is half full and the waiter comes and fills it up before it comes away all to, to the bottom, I already know that, that's a good waiter. That's a good waiter. It's an amazing waiter. God did not create me. God did not create you so we could he could serve you so he could serve me. He created me. He saved me. He saved you so we, could, so we could be for his pleasure. His pleasure. 
So we could serve Him. So we could service Him. It's when we say, God, what can I do with you today? How can I please you today? God, this is the best seat I have in my home. This is the best seat I have in my heart. You can have it today. God, I really want you to know that it's not really about me. It's about you. This is where we say, God, I am getting ready to go to bed. But if, if, if you need something between right now and I wake up, please just let me know so I can do it. So I can be there with you. I want to do this. That's why I am here. And when you decide that he is the reason why you are here, when you decide that, that he is the reason why your existence is, you realize that your worship changes. So now the challenge for us is, is, is now acknowledging who he is, really understanding who he is. Jesus asked his followers at one time, hey, who do people say I am? Who do people, what, what are people saying about me? And they said, hey, some people say that you're one of the prophets, that you're Elisha, that you're somebody else. And the truth is, is if you ask culture who Jesus is, culture will tell you who Jesus is. If you ask, if you ask politics who Jesus is, politics will tell you who Jesus is. If you ask society who Jesus is, they will tell you who they think Jesus is. But Jesus also asked his disciples, and I feel it's the same question he asked us. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And it's the resounding question that he's been asking us. He's asking his inner circle, who am I to you? He is not interested about other people's opinion. He's not interested what culture thinks about him. He's not interested what politics think about him. He is asking the question, who am I to you? Who am I to you? Do you recognize who I am in your life? Do you recognize that? So we live in a world that is constantly wanting to, to change God, to morph God into whatever they think the flavor of the day is. But I'm reminded in scriptures that God says that Jesus Christ is the same to yesterday, today, and forevermore. At the Pentecostal, that, 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 that verse make, may, would make me jump. I'm going to repeat this. Because it's going to bring clarity and, and it should bring consistency to your, to your life. That the writer of Hebrew says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, we're going to six amen, so that's, I, we're, we're making progress. <laughs> Are we going to respond how the world responds? God, you, you are whatever I want you to be today. God, I just, I just want you to be whatever I'm feeling today. Or are we going to respond the way Peter answered and he said, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are, you are the son of the living God. So the first step in expressing our worship is understanding who he is. Do you understand who he is? Or is it what? Facebook is telling you, or is it what the, 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 the famous influencer of the day is telling you who Jesus is? Or do we understand who he really is? Whether you are in this faith journey and you are new or you are a more seasoned veteran, I can, I, I can tell you that you can rest assured that God is love, God is merciful, God is your healer, God is your protector, God is your helper, God is your shepherd, God is your deliverer, God is the chain breaker, he is the one that delivers you from evil, he is the one that is there when everyone has left you, that is your God, that is my God. It's time, it is time to get to know him more. To enter into that relationship with him and just be in awe of his presence. Not the awe like, oh, the awe like, oh. Just, he's just amazing. That is who our God is. 
And even though Simon is trying to show some sort of expression, it's not for Jesus. It's for him. He has approached Jesus for his own personal motives, for his own agenda. It's for him. Possibly he's a well-respected man. He has influence in that region. He is probably well off financially with, with great influence. He's probably even highly educated. He knows when to say the right things. He knows the words to use to captivate people. He knows. He's collected. He looks well put together. And then... And then we have a change of character. Enters this woman. The Bible says that there's a woman who lived in that town who lived a sinful life. That learned that Jesus was having dinner with one of the Pharisees. Now, let's put this in context. Let's, let's give it some background. It's a woman who lived a sinful life. And as a woman, she already as, is at the lowest place in society. To start off, she's already starting from the floor. But on top of that, she has a sinful life. And most scholars will agree that she was a prostitute. So now she's a woman who is a prostitute. Now, it's one thing to be a low-class member of society, and it's another thing to have a job, a profession, where everyone just simply looks at you with disgust. This was her job. This was what sustained her. Now, we don't know the decisions she made that made her be that way or have that profession to have this life. We just know she was a woman from the red light district. You couldn't get any lower in society with having these two traits. It was the lowest of the lows. The lowest of lows. But the passage says that she learned that Jesus was in town. Her knowing that Jesus was close did not change her status. Her knowing that Jesus was close did not change what people thought about her. But it changed her. I want you to imagine for a minute the amount of pressure and objections that she might have immediately be placed under in this scenario. She was a woman. She realizes that she can't walk into this home just willy-nilly, just without any, without any regard. She was a prostitute. What would people think when they saw her walking in into Simon's house and, and going close to Jesus? What would people say? What would people think? But we see that as soon as she learned that Jesus would be there, she made a decision to go see him. And that's why I believe that expression of worship is recognizing that why power, why, why power is stronger than willpower. Can you say, can you say that with me? Why power is stronger than willpower. This woman knew that she had all the reasons not to go. Even justifiable, good reasons not to go. She had all the reasons and no willpower to go if she decided. But she had a why. She had why power. My wife and I have been having discussions that I believe we would never have. You know, after being married for 15 years, we're realizing, hey, in a couple of years, we're going to be empty nesters. What does that look like? Like, what, are, what, what is that even going to look like? We've been, we're, 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 so we're thinking about growing older. But the question has been, uh, but are we growing healthier? You know it's bad when you're sleeping and you wake up with bruises. You know it's bad. You know it's bad. You, you, you know it's bad when you wake up and you're trying to turn and your body sounds like a maraca. I mean, it's bad. I mean, everything's cracked. You know what I mean? So we've decided not to simply grow old but grow healthy. And what's the difference? We've tried doing it in the past. We've, we've tried going on diets. We've tried living healthy. And then, and then killings happens. And that's it. You know, it's like, well, we'll start Monday again. What has changed? Instead of 
just being about willpower. It's about why. Why do we want to do this? We want to enjoy our life together. We want to do ministry in a healthy way. We want to enjoy our grandkids. And, and we, we, we've been consistent. I want to say that this year has been the year that we've been as more consistent as we've ever been. So when we're exercising, we remember our why. We're just like, oh, my God, why am I doing Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I'm doing it because of that. When we're, when we're eating carb-challenged meals, we remember our why. We remember why we're doing this mess. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I have to remember my why. And we remember our why, and we stay consistent. So every time I do remember our why, we do remember our why. We motivate each other. This is why we're doing it, babe. This is why we're doing this. But if we're being honest, when I try to worship God, when I try to get close to God, when I try to be expressive, my why power is not that strong. Because just like this woman, I am reminded of my past. Because just like this woman, <clears throat> I have a past. Just like this woman, I'm reminded that at least you are lucky to be alive. I am reminded that I have... Not many things going for myself. And this is where I believe the enemy wants to keep us convinced of our broken lifestyle. Where he tells us, hey, this is the best you're going to be able to do. This is the best and the highest you will ever be able to get in your life. Don't even try. This is where we tell ourselves... If they only knew what I've done. And the more we are reminded of our past, the less power, the less willpower we have. And the less willpower we have, the less closer we get to God. And the less closer we get to God, our lives start to morph into an image of shame and regret. So we're stuck in place. We are defeated before we even try. But how many here are here today? How many are here today can stand up and say, I am done in trying to do this with my own strength. Because scripture tells me, let the weak say I am strong. The scripture says, I am the head and not the tail. I am wonderfully and beautifully made. At least I believe that. I don't know about you. I, I believe that. I believe that. And when the enemy comes and tries to usurp my thoughts and ask you why you think you deserve this and why you think you deserve that, I deserve this because who that person that lives in me, he who lives in me is greater than that who lives in the world. I do this and I believe this because he loved me so much that he gave his life for me. I do this because in spite of my mistakes, in spite of my imperfections, he embraces me with his love. I told my daughter, I told her, babe, don't, don't exercise to look a certain way. Don't do that. Exercise to be a certain way. To be healthy. To be a person that has less stress. Because if you can focus on the why, the what will come. If you can focus on the why... The what will come. You guys got that, right? If, you, if I can focus on the why, the what, the byproduct of me doing why will come. You might feel like you don't have the willpower to worship God. But when you think about why you worship God, you will be able to say like Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old stuff has gone away. All things have been new. All things are here that are new. So that means that there has been a funeral for all the old dead stuff. This means that all those thoughts that have been, all those negative thoughts that we've been having in our mind have been given an eviction letter to leave the premises. Because all things have been made new. This is why I express my worship. This is why, because when I think about all that he has done for me, what has he done for you? Some of you 
don't even have to be here, cannot be here. You guys, some of you are living borrowed time. Some of you are living overtime. And just that time alone, just that reason alone is enough to say, God, I worship you. I worship you. This woman has recognized who Jesus is. This doesn't dismiss the, the, the reality that she's living with the disadvantage. This doesn't dismiss the fact that culture and society is telling her what she is and who she is. But now she understands that she has a reason. She has a why for doing something like this because she recognizes that what she is doing is much greater than who she is. And she responds to proceed and do something more scandalous because expressing our worship is scandalous. It's scandaloso. It's scandaloso. The verse says that she stood behind him and she's weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wipes them with her hair. She kisses them and poured perfume on them. Now imagine, imagine this scene for a minute. Everyone there at first glance is, is, is looking at this woman and is realizing, uh, this, this can only mean something, if you know what I mean. She then proceeds to undo her hair, which in that culture means like, hey, how are you doing? Now, she now starts to drop to her feet, cries on them, wipes the tears with her tears, and now she pours perfume on them. So now the air is covered with the scent, and now everyone for sure knows that something is going on in that room. Have you guys ever wore, like, cheap cologne? Everyone knows when you wear cheap cologne. They're just too nice to say anything. But they know something's going like, well, what, where, where'd that come from? Like, oh my God, scandalous. And there's no doubt in my mind that there are people there saying, what is going on? What is that smell? And I'm sure there's a Gen Z or somewhere there saying, let's put this on Facebook Live. Let's see what people say. Is that that prostitute from down the street? Because expressive worship is scandalous. It will grab anyone's attention. Some people will not understand. Some people will criticize. But at this point, this woman is all in. It's, she's all in. She doesn't come empty-handed. She is doing the only thing that a woman of her stature and her reputation can do is just simply be all in. She doesn't care if her expression of worship is scandalous. Only she knows the type of pain that she's endured. Only she knows the type of shame that she's carried for so long. She does not care if other people are snickering in the background. OMG, who does she think she is? Oh my God. There's a level of pain and shame where you simply don't care what people say about you only you know how much you've been ostracized only you know how long you've lived in fear only you know how long you've been carrying that secret depression that secret anxiety because you've been cut so much when i used to work in the corporate world i, re I in the corporate world i remember i, I used to manage uh, properties for a nonprofit that that housed elderly people and from time to time, the, senior, the seniors there would forget their keys inside and they would lock themselves out. And I would have to call the locksmith. And I remember one day I called this locksmith to rekey a door for a tenant. And the tenant calls me, hey, the locksmith uh, left, but the key that he left me does not open. So now I have to leave the office. I have to go to the property. I have to meet with a new locksmith. And he's looking at the key. He's looking at the door. He's looking at the key. He's looking at the door. And he tells me something I will never forget. And he said, the reason why this door, why this key cannot open this door is because this key has not been cut in all the right places. The reason this door cannot have, this key cannot have access to that door is because it, cannot, it, it has not been cut in all the right places. 
So what is it that holds us back from expressing our worship, especially if it's going to be scandalous? I believe there's two reasons. There's two reasons. There might be more, but I believe there's two important ones. Let me give you two. First, you care too much. You, you, care, you just simply care too much. And two, you are too self-conscious. Oh, my goodness. If you're, in the, you, if you're in the care too much team, you're thinking about other people. You're thinking, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do something that's going to feel awkward for other people. I'm not going to express myself too much because, oh, my God, you know, that's, that's like too much PDA, and it's going to make people feel really awkward. And you want to avoid feeling a certain way or people feeling a certain way. If you're in the too self-conscious team, you're thinking about you. Now, this is, and I, I've been in this stage worshiping for so long that I've seen every type of mannerism when it comes to people being self-conscious. It, it first starts like this, right? And it's, you're, you're self-conscious and you're usually facing the front and you start like this. And in your mind, you start thinking, if you're a woman that wears no apologies, you start thinking, what was that, what was that finger my, my nail was broken in? That was my right hand middle finger. So you start doing this. And then you realize, well, that's, that, looks, that, looks, that looks kind of silly. And you start like, bring your hand out. Okay, wait, that's, this is better. This is better. So now you start thinking, okay, this is better. And you start thinking, oh, wait, my thumb doesn't have nail polish. So now you start doing this. And you start thinking, well, this is, this is kind of silly. I'm just, I'm just going to go like this. And you start becoming self-conscious. Now what happens is that worship is not about him. It's about you. It starts being about us. Am I okay? Do I look okay to do you doing this? So we make worship about, about us. But there is a level of pain. There is a level of desperation where we realize I don't care. I just simply don't care. Who looks at me? I don't care who talks about me. There's a level of pain where you realize that, it's, that, it's, that God is all you need until God is all you have. There's a level of brokenness when you know that getting close to God is your only lifeline. This is why when you're in this state of brokenness and you're in this state of simply surrender, you start, you, you hear a certain worship song and it completely breaks you. Have you been there? Have you been there? It's like stuff starts getting new meaning in your life. Now you just, now you can hear a simple song from Matt Redman because now you start breaking up in tears. Now everything feels different. Now you feel everything with intensity. And this is where you develop a hunger for God and his presence. It is in this state of brokenness that you say, I just need Jesus. Just, I just need Jesus. And like this woman, you offer your best worship in brokenness. David said it this way, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. Expressing our worship and our brokenness is complete, complete surrender. It is complete surrender. If there's one word I would like to explain what this woman did, it's simply surrender. Everything they thought about her was true. She was a sinner. She was a prostitute. All the labels they had given her were true. Now, it's one thing for people to talk about you, and it's not true. It's another thing that when they do talk about you, it's true. What do you do when the only thing people can do and remember you by is by your mistakes? What do you do? This woman surrendered. We live in a world where we are encouraged to do the opposite of surrender in its control. We are taught to control money, our bills, our family, our jobs, our health. We are taught control from the very beginning of our life. So surrendering can be a foreign subject to us. Or perhaps we've surrendered ourselves but to the wrong things, to the wrong people, to addictions, to lies. 
But I believe that the biggest missed opportunity we had in this pandemic as a church is to show the world how we worship. The world was watching. The world was looking at at the church. The world was watching and seeing how we worship in spite of closures. What did the world see? Did they see a worship expression that was centered on King Jesus or King Mask or King Vaccine? Did the world see party lines and how you voted or did they see how you worship? Did the world see a collective surrendering to Jesus or a frantic grab at controlling what was happening around us? The heart of worship is surrender. And it's difficult because when we think about surrender, we think about loss. We think about defeat. We think about losing. We think about a pleasant images that, that admits defeat in battle. That's what we feel when we think about surrender. And there's a popular song that we've all sang in the vineyard, I believe at one point or another, that goes, I surrender all, right? I surrender all, all to Jesus, blessed Savior, I surrender all. Now, I, I, I wonder if I should sing that to myself and say, I surrender some. I surrender a few things. I surrender some. But the type of surrender that is required from us is not based out of a sense of losing, but rather from a sense of trusting. It's where we say to God, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen to my marriage, but I trust you. I don't know if I ever will get healed, but I trust you. I don't know if my relationship with my father or with my mother will ever be restored by I surrender to you. Now today we're going to have an extended time of worship. And we're going to have the opportunity to simply express ourselves. And I want you to invite, I want to invite you. And I want to tell you that you have complete freedom to just express your heart to God. This is an opportunity for you to tell God, I am try- I'm tired of, tr- of, of trying to control things in my life. I'm tired of trying to control people. I recognize who you are. I recognize why it is I worship you. I will worship you without needing anyone's approval. And this is an opportunity for us to worship him in complete surrender. So let's worship him for who he is. I know that Kevin has set a table for us. And we believe God's speaking to you and meeting you. And so we're going to begin this extended time by coming to the table and receiving communion. Because we present ourselves fully surrendered in worship. This is what it looks like. When we receive communion weekly as a community, it's not out of a posture of a, a habit or a lifeless act. It is a remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ and the surrender of our lives to that story and to that way. And so I want to invite you to stand. And we want to begin to invite your response. When we invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud, that's part of this practice of expressing. And you'll say thanks to Kevin. He did such a good job. So what we're going to do is the tables are going to be open. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and then you're welcome to come receive the bread and the cup. Just take it to your seat. Maybe this is a posture of sitting and just weeping in God's presence. Maybe it's standing and just beginning to lift your hands just as an expression of, God, I just give it to you. Maybe it's just continuing to watch and be open. But we want 
to experience God. And so there's going to be, um, the band's going to play a song while we do this, and then I'll come back up and lead us from there. And so let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is where we bring all of who we are into the story of God being written for you. You are forgiven. You are loved. And the closeness of God wants to be so close that as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, just allow the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to get that close and then respond how you feel led in worship. The table is open. Come and receive the bread and the cup.
today we say yes to you so I want to invite you to stand if uh, you're not standing yet and we're gonna have an official close if you're willing to pray for people I just want you to come down here our, our staff small group leaders prayer team our team's gonna stay and they're gonna continue to worship if you just want to, to linger a little bit uh, but we also want to be aware that uh, you might have somewhere else you need to be so I want to give you two challenges this week I want to give you a three-word prayer that encompasses what we've been talking about. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. And if you want to try this worship thing out a little bit more with nobody else watching, without a room full of people singing together, 89.3, 92.1, and 103.7 in your car. There's also a thing called Spotify and Amazon Music and all this other stuff. And you can just put in worship, vineyard worship, Christian worship, and just try it out in your free time. So Jesus, we bless you because it is you are the one we want to glorify. We want to give you our lives as worship. We want to give you everything. So we just pray your presence with us as we go. We pray your presence as people step into work this week. We pray your presence as they're sharing meals around the dinner table. We pray your presence in their thought life, your presence in their emotions, your presence in their relationships, God. Would we be your people and a people of your presence, expressing our worship to you every day and in every moment. Have your way, King Jesus.